Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another episode of Moments That Rock, part of the Pantheon Media Group of Podcasts, which basically is 60-plus really good music-based podcasts. I'm your host, Tony Michaelidis. We're here each week to share Moments That Rock. Today's guest is an old colleague of mine from a long time ago at Island Records. He was press officer, went off to start his own company with his colleague, and um, pretty much since then has been very active, um, writing especially. He's come up with this uh, brilliant book, The Island Book of Records, the first edition, 1959 to 1968. His name is Neil Storey, and we'll get him to uh, talk a little bit more about it. So, oh, as the jingle says, who are you? Well, I know who he is, because I've known him for God knows how long. His name's Neil Storey. He was a colleague of mine at Island Records in 1978, when we were doing regional promotions, we all got laid off. Then he went to work in press. So I'm kind of reading you his bio, but we'll kind of cut to the chase because he's got just released an amazing book, which has taken him uh, about 200 years to write, hasn't it? I think you kind of started in the earlier 70s at Island Records, didn't you, as a, um, a van a sales rep? Yeah, well, actually, I started at EMI before that, and I was two years at EMI. But involved with Ireland because EMI sold in to the record shops all the Ireland new releases. So as a consequence, you know, one of the earliest ones I was involved in in that particular thing was um, Bob Marley, The Whalers, Catch a Fire. <laughs> so I kind of go back a, a decent amount of time. Um, and then after 18 months or so of working with EMI, I got offered a job at Ireland to become part of a sales force that they were they were setting up. And so that's really how I kind of accepted the island shilling or sixpence as it probably was at that time. And then you just morphed straight out of um, regional promotion, straight into press, didn't you? You didn't leave, really. Well, no, I, well I did leave. I did leave, actually. Oh, you I did, was, right. I was left. <laughs> I was left. What happened was... That I got this really crazy gig um, because the sales force was being dismantled. And um, for some reason or other, they wanted me to go on the road with every single band they had on the road at the time. So that involved Bob Marley, Third World, Inner Circle were the first lot I went out with. And that was a tour with the Average White Band. Um, I started in Brussels. So it was Britain and Europe. And essentially, I was advancing all the the tours on behalf of the record company, meaning that all the right people went to the right gigs. And I was crisscrossing the country and bits of Europe, literally on a daily basis from gig to gig. 
And I think, as you once wisely put it, you lived out of your car, and I did live out of my car. Um, <laughs> I have the photos. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, don't show them. But anyway, I lasted that for about just under a year. And then I came back into the office one day. I think it was a Friday. And I just finished the B-52s, B-52s first ever um, UK gigs. And if I'm remembering correctly, the last one of that run was in Scarborough. I'd never been to Scarborough. Anyway, it was in Scarborough. I drove all the way back, got into the office and kind of wandered around seeing people. And John Knowles was my boss at that time. And he took me to one side and he said, look, I'm really terribly sorry, but we don't have any more bands for you to go on the road with. So um, you're being made redundant. Here's a check. That's that's actually that's what happened. And then I went and hid at my then girlfriend's house and I got a letter. I mean, don't forget, this is so far beyond before emails and cell phones and all of that stuff. So I must have given somebody my my or her address. Anyway, I got a letter saying, can you come into the office? And they let me use the car. And I thought, oh, shit. This means that I'm going to have to give the car back earlier than I haven't <laughs> made any plans or anything. Anyway, so I got back into the office, walked into reception. They said, ah, oh, hi, uh, Rob Partridge wants to see you. And I thought, well, I didn't really know Rob particularly well at that point. Um, and so anyway, so I went and sat down and had a chat to him. And he said, after about 10 minutes, he said, how do you fancy coming to work in the press office? He'd only just joined Ireland then. And I went, uh, Rob was a journalist. Wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was Melody Maker news editor. So I said, Look, I don't know the back end of the Guardian from the front end of the enemy. And he said, Don't worry, you'll learn. Well, I didn't have anything else to do. So I said, All right, I'll come back. But there is a condition. I, suddenly I got my kind of balls back. And I said, Can I keep my redundancy money? And so he said, Well, I've got to go and see. I think it was Tom Hayes he had to go and see. Anyway, um, back he came and said, Tom says you can keep the money. So I thought, right, OK, I'm kind of a few quid up here. And that's how it. That's how I kind of came back after the two weeks or 10 days or whatever. They should have asked him to lay you off and then bring you back in a couple of months later. <laughs> I remember we got laid off in 1980. So you, you went through into 81. So 82, you kind of started off in the press department. The first half of the Unforgettable Fire Tour, I came off that and I actually took a completely di different direction. I went to work um, in um, professional cycle racing and oh, doing wow. PR, doing oh. PR for that. So that was that was kind of like taking a bit of time out. And then Rob and I formed Partridge and Story uh, in 19, what was that, 88, 89, something like that. And um, so then there was that the next involvement with Ireland. Um, and we, as a PR company, you, you, you really want to start your PR company with artists who, or people who do interviews. We started with three clients, none of whom did, did interviews. Bob Marley, <laughs> because he, well, Bob Marley, because he couldn't, for obvious reasons. Um, Chris Blackwell, because he didn't fancy talking to anybody and Tom Waits because he really didn't fancy talking to anybody that was us those were our first three clients so but, that was Partridge's um, story that morphed yeah. into coalition did it that became coalition after a while and then 
coalition got pretty big. We became like the PR company to go to in in um, in the uh, in the UK. And I left there. Uh, I'd taken on <laughs> Nigel Kennedy. He decided that he wanted me to manage him. I'd never managed anybody in my life. Um, but he, anyway, persuaded me. So I managed Nigel for, what was it, four years, five years. We had three number one albums, four number one albums. I don't know, something along those lines. He's a great fiddle player, but he's he's not the easiest of people. And uh, so then I kind of went and sat on a beach in Brittany for a couple of weeks and realised I'd made myself completely unemployed. And I was pretty much unemployable as it was at that point anyway. And uh, I got back and I got back to a telephone call from from our lawyer saying, come and have lunch. You probably know lawyers only want to have lunch with you if they want something. (laughs) It's true, isn't it? So anyway, so I went and we went through all the courses of lunch and nothing had been mentioned. I thought I completely miscued. And then he asked if I'd heard of this particular client of his and um, because he was looking for um, someone to manage him. And uh, so that was my next management stint. Um, and that lasted, I think, five years. And then um, by that time, I'd moved to France. And then he and I fired each other simultaneously, which is pretty good going. Um, and that was, I, I was out of music at that point for quite a, quite a while. I, you know, there wasn't anything else I really wanted to do. And then after a bit, um, this mad idea that has now resulted in a book um, kind of came to me. And I began very, very early kind of putting together what has now become the Island Book of Records. But you did um, you did some other stuff before that. Well, we kind of came up with this idea of doing book sets which was basically a book on artist X or Y or Z, vinyl sized with music. Mm. Um, and we did uh, a career retrospective for Jess Roden. Um, we did a couple of things with Gemma Hayes, who's an Irish singer-songwriter. Um, then we did a huge set for Chris Wood of Traffic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had various other ones in the fire, and we were researching. There was a Robert Palmer one, um, and then that didn't, for varying reasons, which I'd rather not go into. They didn't happen. And then, as is really the same with any really small bespoke label, if you like, uh, licensing masters becomes increasingly more difficult, increasingly more expensive. Um, the majors really want their I'm loath to use the word pound of flesh, especially in the current climate, but they really want their money and they want it all. Everything has to be up front. So in other words, you're just losing money over hand over fist. And in the end, I actually put all of the projects that we were working on, the head, hands and feet one, there was a Bronco one, there was something else with Jess Roden. I put them all on the back burner because you know, financially, it just wasn't making any kind of sense. We were putting, if you like, too much time into something that was actually never going to really reap any rewards. And uh, so that was that was really 
that part that's answering that part of your question um but if anything that led us into you know we'd established a really good format with the book set and that vinyl size beautifully beautifully designed Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. And um, so that really has led us into the Island Book. You're listening to Neil's story on Moments That Rock, telling us the story about the first edition of the Island Book of Records, 1959 to 68. Great stuff. We'll be back from more with Neil, more sneezes as well. Believe it or not, I edited a whole bunch out after this. This is volume one, obviously, isn't it? So what's the plan? Is this going to take you up till you're about 120? Uh, yeah. <laughs> How long did this state take from its inception then? Inception was 15 years ago, um, and it got real. It really got real, believe it or not, on the day that the Chris Wood book set came out, because that also coincided with, unhappily, the funeral for Kelly, co-founder of Spooky Tooth, Only Ones, and the rest of it. Uh, Kelly was a really, really, really good chum, and I'd known him since I was 17, on and off, obviously, but we'd kind of become friends all over again and um, for, for quite a few years. And 
standing there in the church, it suddenly dawned on me, and this was like the, I'm loath to use the word, the light bulb moment, but it suddenly dawned on me, there would be no more conversations. There would be no more. He used to communicate by Skype a lot. So you'd be sitting there working away, and suddenly it's about, if you can imagine it the other way around, suddenly you're sitting there typing away, you're concentrating on X or Y or Z, you've got Skype running in the background, and then suddenly there he is, he's beaming in. And it doesn't matter how busy you were, <laughs> it would end up, how you just end up talking about something. But Kelly was incredibly important in the early to mid-60s in terms of the fact that he was there when, um, you remember the early days of the band and, and the, 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 the bootlegs that were coming out of Big Pink and all of mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, where there were people bringing reel-to-reels, this is not cassettes, reel-to-reels, back from America. So he'd be up there at the cottage when Eric Clapton would arrive with a reel-to-reel -reel of whatever these recordings were from Big Pink. And this is the band's influence on... British contemporary music at that time. So Kelly was there and he was able to talk about it firsthand. So standing there at the, at the funeral, you realise that that ain't going to happen again. Yeah. And that's, you know, that was really, if, if there was a pivotal moment for this to really come into focus, it was that. Before you actually physically started, did, did you approach the hierarchy at Ireland and get royal approval? And Well, no, I didn't, because I didn't feel I needed to approach anybody. Firstly, I don't work for them. Secondly, why would I go cap in hand asking them to do something that is based on my own archive? Mm. So, you know, every image you've seen, every... Uh, album cover every 45 99.9% .9 of them are drawn from my own archive so why do I need to ask anybody's permission to do something like that you know I'm writing about records that they own the musical rights to but and they're illustrated with the covers that in many instances are still there gracing those album sleeves however they don't put out records that look as manky as, you know, mine from the early 60s to the late 60s um, with chewed off corners and, and all the rest of it. <laughs> so in that respect, no, I didn't. Um, and if I didn't have a particular album cover, there's two or three other collectors who I know who do or did... <laughs> If there's somebody who's got tickets to a gig that I wasn't at, therefore I don't have, then, you know, a lot of people, have, when they found out, began finding out about this, became incredibly supportive, very, very helpful, and offering all manner of, oh, would this be of any use to you? You know, amazing, amazing stuff. Mm. And so, you know, the idea has been to make it as definitive a work as is, as is possible. And I think, well, it's for others to say whether we have or not, obviously, but it feels to me like it's as, I don't think we could have made it any better. No, well, you've done, you've done a great job. So what's the, the master plan? This is 59 to 68. Is the next one like 69 to 
78? The idea really was to do about 100 albums per book. And so the next one will actually be less than 100. It will be 69 to 70. That's, if you like, the pink years. We're already at the pink years with the first John Martin, both the Nirvana albums, the first two Traffic albums and so on. Um, but 69 through into late-ish 70, which was when the Pink Rim label was uh, introduced. The plan is that now we've got Volume 1 done and dusted, we've already started on Volume 2. Volume 2 will cover the years 69 and 70. Um, it'll be less than 100 albums, but you've got all the beginnings of those great gatefold sleeves. They all need a lot of space to live within the, the book. Um, there's an awful lot to talk about. There's an awful lot of people talking about, you know, you can't give, I don't know, in the course of the Crimson, Crimson King, you can't give that just a couple of spreads. You've got to run more than that. There will also be other features. There'll be a second Guy Stevens feature, for example, because he kind of came, came back into play. He produced, um, although it was never really released, he produced some of the early Bronco material, Mott the Hoople, obviously. And so he plays a major part. Um, then there's there will be a little bit about Blind Faith um, because traffic had split up at the end of 68. Um, there will be, ding, 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 what else will be? Martin Lamble, Fairport's drummer, was killed. So there's another little section on that. So it's all the book the bits of the book within the book. So that will uh, take us up to the, the end of 1970 when the Pink Rim label comes in uh, with Cat Stevens and Alan Bann. And then volume three will be 71 to 72. Uh, volume four will be 73, 70, sorry, 70, yeah, 73, 74, maybe 75. I haven't really made my my kind of mind up about that. Um, and then eventually it will go up to 1989. So that's when it's going to end, 89? For two reasons. One, it is the end of the, if you like, Ireland analogue era. Secondly, 1989 was when Ireland, when Chris sold Ireland to what is now Universal. So it, it feels like a logical stopping point. So did you reach out to um, a multitude of people that go back over the years for the book? I reached out to as many people as I could think of. Um, and 99.9%, I think there's only one person, or is it two, who've actually declined to be interviewed. Um, one person didn't turn up for their interview, who, whose name I'm not going to name. Um, so that was a bit of a, a disaster. But everybody else has been incredibly helpful, incredibly kind and willing to talk. You know, sometimes I've goofed up taping somebody and I've said, you know, do you mind if we do it all over again? Of course not. They make time. Uh, it's been it's been an amazing experience. And also hearing some of the some of the, the mad stories. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's 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 never ending. I mean, did you know, for example, that the first um, Island Gold Disc, it wasn't for a Pat Stevens album or a Traffic album. It was for one of the Rugby Songs albums. 
Great. You didn't know that, did you? <laughs> no, I didn't. Nor, nor, did, nor did I. And on the, oh, here's another one for you. This one, David Bashridge told me, he said, you know, you know you're looking at the, the sleeve of the first Island UK album, Keith and Enid Sing. And he said, you know that isn't Keith, and you know that isn't Enid. So I kind of looked at him blankly, and I went, no, I had no idea. And he went, well, it isn't, because we didn't have a picture of them. So what we did was we roped in Esther Anderson, who was about to be a Bond girl, who was um, Chris Blackwell's girlfriend at the time, and a guy called Winston Stoner. You'd know him better, possibly, because he co-founded Busher Brown's uh, sources and Jamaican sources and condiments and, you know, curry mixtures and the rest well, of it. His name was Stoner from Jamaica. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was also, Winston was also in The Heart of They Come and Cool Runnings. And he was a film star as well. Anyway, they were the two people on the front of the album cover, if you like, pretending to be Keith and Enid. And that concludes part one of Curator Mr Neil's Story, compiling the Island Book of Records, 1959 to 1968. Highly recommend it. Go and check it out. We'll be back with more stories from Neil in a few weeks to come. You've been listening to Moments That Rock with me, Tony Michaelis, part of the Pantheon Group of Podcasts. Come back next week, subscribe, share, tell your friends, and make a grown man very happy. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.